0: one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 310. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. They're online at respectsextet.com. And until October 11th, there's a discount, a 50% discount actually, which is. Pretty sizable for all jazz session listeners who want to buy Respect Sextet recordings. So just go to respectsextet.bandcamp.com. That's respectsextet.bandcamp.com and enter the offer code TJS. The initials of the jazz session. TJS to get fifty percent off all respect recordings through October eleventh. This is their tenth anniversary, and on October eleventh, they're playing their tenth anniversary show at La poisson Rouge. Tickets are available now. You can visit respectsextet.com for more information. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who recorded the show's logo. He is online at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. My guest today is bassist and writer in many senses of that word, Chris Terry. This is one of those records that I booked initially or considered booking initially purely based on the packaging. I opened the envelope and I pulled out a book and I thought it's interesting that someone would send me a book. I mean, you know, maybe they know about my other life as a as a writer. And they're just sending it to me, and they only have my jazz session address. And then I opened it, and there was a hole cut in the middle with a CD in it. And I thought, all right, this is absolutely getting a read and a listen. And it proved to be worth both. Uh, Chris Terry's rest of the story contains his short fiction and his compositions, and we'll start off with a piece called "Jump the Shark." guest is Chris Terry, and he's got a, just a fantastic new project called Rest of the Story. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being
1: here. Thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it.
0: So you uh, the thing I like about you is that you decided not only am I going to release a jazz <laughs> record, but just to, just to make sure that I've put myself in the ninth level of hell, I'm going to release also <laughs> a book at the exact same time. Right. Uh, can you just talk about why you decided to do something this ambitious and why you felt it was... I don't know if necessary is the right word, but why you felt it it was complementary to both sides of your personality to put these together.
1: I guess because I've been a, I've been a jazz musician for a long time, uh, professional musician for you know going on twenty years, and and I've also quietly in the in the trenches been publishing fiction as a writer for for maybe like five or six years, and it's something that really um, in the last little while grabbed my interest to the point of like learning a new instrument you know it was it was it was it was something that i really love it is something i really love and i and i wanted to do a new record and i thought i've always wanted to do a, you know as records as albums start going more digital and more this and more that i've always had this dream of doing a, a record where the artwork and everything was also like a crazy project you know what i mean so uh I sort of looked at it as a possible a possibility as a way to um put the two together and see if I could make words uh, some short stories work with uh, an album, a jazzm that has no words so in in which ways you know exploring sort of which ways in terms of making all of the artwork and everything work together to make that seem seamless i guess and was there a way to do it so that was the initial inspiration for it just in my head and i got lucky lucky to be hooked up with a really great graphic designer and uh and a company that was you know a record company that was into the idea and 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 it and it just sort of went from there i saw one of those uh
0: you know kind of like top 10 list articles a while ago that was like the top 10 anti-digital albums right. you know, albums released that really could not be reproduced just right. by an mp3 download now this music absolutely stands on its own, and mm-hmm. people never saw the rest of the thing. Mm-hmm. I think the music is strong enough, you know, to tell its own story. Right. But I wonder how much you, how much you expected, like you even say in here, this is an album first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's obviously some kind of sympathetic vibration, some feedback going between the words and the music, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder how you charted that out, how you decided which pieces to include, you mm-hmm. know, how the project kind of came together as a whole.
1: Well, that that's, uh, that was sort of the, the sticking point I was having trouble, because like, was, again, the whole words... With something that doesn't have words, so you know the first thing when people do this kind of thing with with a, with like a pop album or something, it's like oh the words connect to the lyrics and the thing. So there's kind of easy relationships to be drawn there. And the way we decided to go with it um, was through uh, through the idea that the music li- literally becomes the rest of the story. Mm. So there's if uh, the giveaway is if you're looking through and sort of looking for the connections and stuff is the uh, table of contents. And the idea was, okay, i am been writing short fiction, so let's put four short stories together. They weren't necessarily connected to the music in any way, but how do we connect it? We we put the table of contents, we put four short stories with page numbers, and then that takes you up to about page 40, and the rest of the book has a, literally has a hole drilled into the center of it, which caused a whole bunch of people to be really freaked out. <laughs> and then... The table of contents, the fifth listing is the first tune on the record, and instead of a page number, there's timings. So literally, the music becomes the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth story. Kind of that idea is, is sort of what we were going for. Yeah, and I don't want to feel like I'm kind of
0: asking you the same question in 17 different ways. But does that mean that there's therefore uh, some sort of either – narrative element to the music or a narrative element that existed in your mind that's really not necessary for listening to the music Mm -hmm. uh, to allow it to be that kind of continuation? Is there something as direct as that? Yes,
1: yes. I mean, I was almost in a subtle way, and I I, I consciously thought this, in terms of like, this doesn't necessarily have to do with the album as a whole, but when I was writing the music for the record, you know, I had been studying literature and short fiction with some of the, best guys around just sort of been fortunate number one living here in new york and having some things published and getting getting connected to some writers that were just really you know like new yorker writers and different things um and having spent a few years studying with those guys and then sitting down to write the music for this record i was a much better i became a much better composer because of it because of the fact that um Writing is like 85% revision, you know. And I used to be generally like a lazy composer. I had always sort of put together a tune and figure stuff out, and I always had great bands, so that, you know, they make anything sound good. And, you know, so I would just sort of, oh, here's this, whatever. But with this record, I was relentless. I threw away bridges, I threw away melodies, I threw away this. I start, and it was all written, the music was all written at one time, uh, in like about a month long period of just daily, every day, eight hours a day. So I was very conscious of this idea that I wanted to put these two things together and also um, the effect that learning to write and literature was having on the way my music was being composed. So that also started making me think of melodies that tell stories, melodies that uh, people can grab onto and take them somewhere. You know what I mean? Uh, So I was very conscious of all that, and I think it elevated the music on this record to be above and beyond what my previous records were, so I think it was a really good fallout and come together of both things, as it were.
0: more about the revision process so yeah what what kind of
1: fuels it what informs it or steers you well you know in order to become a writer i had to learn early on to love revision because writing is different in music in, in a little bit of ways in terms of the feedback you get you know people are used to these sort of workshop formats and everybody writes and you get in a room with 10 people and, and you sit back and they read your story and they all tell you how much it fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> right? And you sit there and you learn how to take it. Right. Now, how often do we do that with music? We don't. Now, also as an instructor, a musician and, and, and an instructor that teaches a lot of people composition and different things in music, I've taken some of those uh, workshop, literary workshop devices, and put them on some stu- composition students and thinking about development and mel- melodic development and all that sort of stuff, and also some very harsh but helpful critiquing. You know what I mean? As musicians, we don't sit around and go, "Listen, man, you really played great last night." You know, but what you played in that third tune, I was—question. So <laughs> Maybe we could take it this other direction. You know, like, I kind of wasn't that into it. You know, it's just a lot of times music is filled with a lot of joy. "Yeah, man, haven't played with you in a minute. Sounds great, awesome. See you later, <laughs> dude." You know what I mean? Right. And so I wanted to bring some of that, some of that realist stuff in into it. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that sort of led me on the path of bringing the, bringing the two together and uh yeah, yeah. Uh, one
0: thing uh you know prose writers and, and poets or write, writers of any kind have to deal with is someone usually above them in an editorial role someone exactly uh, is that was there anyone like that for you as someone who listened to this music or to whom you took the scores or anything to say this is where i'm at or was it different for well the interesting thing
1: I i have this whole thing too that jazz a lot of jazz music for me Needs producers, especially a lot of the records. So many records coming out today. Nobody in jazz hires producers to like to like help you help you out. You know what I mean?
0: Tell people what a producer would do. Just so you might not be well, prepared.
1: like a producer would, you know, say you're not ready to do this record, <laughs> you <know? laughs> or you need to practice more. No, I mean they would they would help make what you have, and you defer to you defer to them. to help make what you have better. You know, um, and with this record, I I did. I, I also. You know, my last four records, I, I, I all di- did myself, and that's, that's great. That's a huge learning experience, too. But I think this one, I, I, I did look to some people, uh, for help. Henry Hay, who's the piano player in my band, he's just a terrific musical director overall, and a, and a really good friend and support, and he helped me out just in terms of giving me some, bouncing some ideas off of, uh, being able to bounce ideas off of. He didn't ask, I gave him a co-producer credit on this. He didn't, he never asked for it. I just, gave it to him because i just thought some of the stuff he offered was was really uh really great and then a lot of this music was written through a a grant that i got to go and live in uh, Banff, alberta canada for a month and compose all the music in this crazy cabin on the side of a mountain with like a grand piano and stuff and it's it's also where they do the jazz the Banff jazz workshops every year and Donnie McCaslin just happened to be there and him and I are good friends and we go back, go back years playing. And so actually I had some really great input. He would, like on the breaks, come over to my, walk over to my cabin and sit there and listen to me writing some of the stuff. And he would give me some really great feedback of what he thought or I love this and I'm not sure about this. And it was a real, so again, it was that, like you said, that sort of literary workshop feel of somebody, an editorial view, which I don't think we have enough in, in music and in jazz specifically.
0: It's great to be able to get that feedback so early in the process and to actually totally. have conceived of the, of the whole thing mm-hmm. as an album. Right. Rather than just, okay, now I've got 12 songs down. Exactly. Over the last six months. Exactly. The, the other
1: thing that I did, um, because, you know, I get inspired by my friends, musicians, people that I play with. Before I left to go to Banff for the month, I knew I was going to be there and I needed some fresh ideas and I needed some stuff. So I went to a few friends. I went to, um, people that i respect as composers i went to miles okasaki we hung out for an afternoon and even though they're friends i paid them for their time and sat down and we talked composition and i got really inspired before i left so to me that's the same thing that happens when i read a great short story and i think i want to write like this or i read a great short story and i i want to go study with the guy who wrote this you know what i mean it's like it's very much parallels to music and growing growth as a musician for me that way
0: did it help you to be out in Banff and to kind of be focused in this totally, way?
1: Totally, because ultimately I'm a very lazy person. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had never sat down and composed that much that um, focused before in my life. You know, I always write like a couple tunes, take a few months off, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, it was something I could always kind of do. So for me, this record is really special in the fact that, you know, probably 85, 90% of it was written there in that little period, time period, you know, and, and going back to taking a lesson with Miles, uh, one of the things he's, we talked a bit about that, you know, he's and he said, like, don't be afraid to allow this, all the tunes to have a similarity, because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you compose a lot at one period of time. And, and so I went in also not being afraid of that happening. I don't think it really sounds like they're composed all at the same time, but there's, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely nice to have that sort of burden lifted. Will you mention who's in the band on this record? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Henry Hay on piano. Uh, Dan Weiss, who a lot of, plays with a lot of people in town, and we've played together as a rhythm section for years. He's been on my last three records, and we do other people's stuff. Um, and then uh, Pete McCann, who for me is one of the most underrated guitar players in New York. Yeah, he's a monster. Uh, I met him when I moved first week I moved to New York, nine years ago, and he has been instrumental in terms of just a friendship and also a guy that's gotten me into a lot of projects that he's on. And and yeah, he's been in my band since I moved here. And then uh, a guy that I've played with for years and years and years that a lot of New Yorkers know, but doesn't live here. He lives in Toronto named Kelly Jefferson. And in terms of tenor players, he's just, for me, one of the best. And and not only a great soloist, but for me, in talking about Melodic structure and form, and and melodies that tell a story, in terms of the way he plays a melody and and, and pays homage to what I write down, is uh, is second to none for me. So he's been in the band for like long time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
0: And I don't think I've said at any point in this interview that, of course, you play bass. <laughs> oh, and I play bass on, on right. this record. Yeah, I yes, I play electric I bass specifically, which is right, I right, right, right. right. Uh, one thing about the songs on this record, oh, and I've, I've I've kind of betrayed what I'm going to say by calling them songs rather than tunes, which is, seems to be the division between lyrics and no lyrics. Right, right, right. But these really have a song-like quality. I mean, you've used the word melody many times in this mm-hmm. interview so far, and it really does—I guess maybe it's the it's the production, it's the writing, the whole the, obviously the playing, the whole thing, but it really has a—it has the feel of like a rock or pop record where it really mm-hmm. hangs together mm-hmm. um, and where everything just seems— Kind of concise and intentional, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. Which is not to say that a forty-minute track can't be cool, but Mm -hmm. there's something about this record that is not very much—not that Mm -hmm. it seems very focused, Mm -hmm. uh, and each tune seems to have a real, a real point Mm -hmm. for being.
1: Well, I'm glad you noticed that because that was a really important point for me to do uh, in in making this record. And you know, for me, I think my own personal view—I really think a lot of jazz records um, don't pay enough attention to the tunes you know it's just like there are these vehicles in order to like display some other aspect of their of somebody's playing Always, just as a bass player, and growing up, listening to bass player albums, you know, where to be, you know, here's the 18th bass solo, and of course the bass plays the melody, and of course this, and of course that. But for me, it was never about that; it was about on. A, it's uh, it's always been about creating records that hang together, um, with good tunes and good music and good players. That you know that that there's never a lull in the energy. That everything's everything is pointed, and everything um, there's never any sort of like obscure noodliness. And listen, I've played on a lot of records that it's about the noodliness. That's that's that can be a thing too. But with this record, I just sort of went in doing what I always try to do: is make a record that hangs together, like you said. And this one, because of the focused composition and because of a few other things, I think does that better than what I've been able to do previously. Can you talk about uh, kind of your role in the in the studio for this record? And uh... sure. Well. Like I said, I was writing the tunes over the course of a month and I was actually sh- sending the tunes as I was finishing them to the guys back here because I got, it was like last year in May sometime and I got home June 1st and we went in the studio June 3rd Wow! and recorded it. We didn't do, uh, I don't know, we had maybe like a 10 minute rehearsal. And so really a lot of the stuff you're hearing on this is like first take us playing the tunes. but. Now, that doesn't always happen, and if you have new guys, that's really hard to do, but with a band like ours that's been together for a long time, and you really know each other, and you really trust each other, and you're really there for each other, instrument wise and harmonically, um, it, it, uh, it can have kind of a magic, like, sometimes I feel our, this band, uh, you know, we've played so much together, and, 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 and it's just really, also, people that play a lot, you don't see a lot of bands anymore in, in jazz, you know what I mean? That are just like, that have played a ton and a ton, and the, and the personnel doesn't change that much, you know? And I think that's a really important thing that sometimes some jazz records overlook, you know? It's always about getting the individual players rather than how everybody sounds together as a whole. So, my thing in the studio was... Um, uh, You know, it's always quick and it's always fast and quick. So it's like it's like a lot of times you get home after a day and a half, which took to record this record. And you're like, okay, did we get what we need? (laughs) You know, and then I spend a good amount of time. Uh, going through various takes and different things and and um, making a couple, a few digital fixes and things like that. But um, essentially, this is how we laid it down, you know. There's very few overdubs. There's a, maybe you know, a couple overdubs on one tune. And other than that, it's exactly how we played it.
0: And when you were writing this music, I assume based on everything you just said about the band hanging together, that you were writing it knowing these were the people... Oh, of course.
1: That's another band. big thing, you know. Uh, I look at... I look at and very much thought about, as I was writing this, knowing that it was going to be a book of short fiction and a CD, I looked at the people in the band, the players that I play with in the band, as characters in a story. So just as I would write a story with a character I feel I know really well and send them on some sort of journey, it's the same way I would sit down and write. I was trying to have that sensibility when I sat down and write, so I would think, okay, here's the journey I'm going to send Dan on. Here's the journey... I'm going to send Henry on, you know. And so that also led to the fact that this music, more than any of the other music on my other records, was much more, like you said, focused. But that also is described as like a through, like it was much more through composed. Like all, every piano part is written. Um, every guitar part is written. Everything is has a very specific purpose. Much more through composed than anything I'd ever done before. And that was part... And parcel thanks to Donnie being there too, because I said to him, I was like, it's like a lot of times I'll just, I'll have this voicing in the piano, but I'm afraid that my voicing or that Henry will have a better voicing or whoever's playing piano will have a better voicing. And, and he encouraged me. He said, no, just, you know, if that's what you're hearing, write it out. So every piano part, except for the solos and all that sort of stuff, everything is, everything is written out. And that made me feel very strong compositionally. Yeah. And it, it's interesting
0: because it kind of feels like jazz is one of the few places where composers are hesitant to do that for right. fear of limiting the people mm-hmm. who are playing with exactly. Them. Whereas in in most other forms of music, mm-hmm. things would be spelled out with great great detail. Exactly, you know, here's exactly what I want you to play because this is what my vision of this piece is. Exactly, and so it sounds like you've been able, to on this record, to find a balance where right. there's room for improvisation, but you've also been able to capture your vision for what these tunes sound like.
1: Exactly. And just be more specific, more specific with my choices and write them down. Sure. You know, that was basically um, one of my goals with this.
0: Did the, uh, did the guys in the band, uh, do you know if they had read the fiction side of it?
1: Actually, they hadn't read any of the fiction until we did the first uh, CD release. We did a couple CD releases um, a few months back, uh, one at the Cornelia Street Cafe, which as maybe some of your listeners don't know, is also a famous um, literary hang. So before the jazz music starts for going on 20 plus years, they've had readings and stuff that go from like six to eight. And then the jazz music show up and they play from nine to whatever. Right. So <laughs> I thought that that'd be like a perfect spot to to do some of the readings. So before we played, I got up and read a story. And then on the break, I read another story. So I read two of them. And they had never heard them, and they, they, uh, yeah, they were pretty surprised. <laughs> so.
0: When you, uh, had you been writing for years and years, but you only kind of within the last several years got serious about trying to get things published? Or yeah. was it something that. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I just, I just, um, I fell in love with it, and then I had a couple of chance, uh, classes and different things I started t- taking that I met people in that, you know, Mentored me and different things like that. So yeah,
0: people usually lump that kind of creative process all into one place. You know, whether you're a writer, or an artist, or sculptor, a musician, right. whatever. Do you find though that it it exercises different
1: parts of your brain, calls on different? Completely, things. yeah. And like I said before, I think that the writing influences the music more. So it's been a tough. I mean, they're similar, and, and all art is similar to some degree. But it's been tough in terms of just um, uh, coming up with a balance in terms of in terms of growing in both areas and producing material in both areas so i really have to in that way i sort of really try and separate them so you know i'll get up and say i'm going to work on this story until noon and then i have to do uh you know uh some practicing or i have to you know what i mean so like in that way they're very the actual process is very separate separated for me because i find when i'm in one it's probably just a mental thing but i feel very far away from the other you know what I mean? So, so that's been like a very, you know, own personal journey in terms of trying to figure out how to do both and do both well. Because I'm the kind of guy if I can't do it well, I'm just not. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You know.
0: probably the case now but uh before uh, this book and record came out uh did people in your musical life know that you were also a writer
1: no it was really different and it's, the funny thing is when i when people buy the record especially you know the few that i've given to friends or whatever um i have writer friends and i have music friends and then to hear from them a the week the week later the writer friends are always like man i read the stories i loved them I haven't had a chance to get to the music yet Right. And then the musician, <laughs> the musician's friends, you know, who can't read anyways, they're like, they're, 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 they're just, they're like, I love the record, man. It's like the best record I've heard all year. And uh, I'll get to the stories. Right.
0: I haven't had a chance to have somebody read me the stories.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, so it's been interesting that way. But, you know, there's been a couple friends who, who have taken the time and, and also, uh, reviewers and people that have sort of seen it for what it is and, and the size of the project that it actually is. And that's been really, um, really rewarding you know um it's been a slow release with this one just sort of doing stuff we had a whole tour planned um this summer we were doing we were going to do all the, we had a bunch of festival dates planned and stuff and then my wife got pregnant so we just i just sort of decided you know a, a project like this can have a longer shelf life sure you know literally so and just like a few months ago last month we finally released it digitally on my site so you can buy it on my website and um uh that download comes with a PDF of the book, you know, so it's the closest we can get to actually having it in your hand, but I think that it's definitely the kind of thing that you need to buy and hold on to and feel the pages in your fingers. I think it's, it's quite a, they did an amazing job with the design, which I also had a lot of hand in, but it was, it's, it's very special to me. There's yeah. very, everything's very customized. All the illustrations in it are done after the illustrator read all the stories and what she envisioned. It's very beautiful to have that kind of, connection between everything
0: i have mentioned on this show before that i get more than a thousand cds every Mm -hmm. year sent to me by people who'd like to come on the show and so you know i have a few levels of triage but one of (laughs) them is always and it doesn't this is a level that hardly anyone ever hits but one of them is always if i get something that is like nothing else Mm -hmm. i've ever received Mm -hmm. whether i'm familiar with anyone i mean of course i'm familiar with all of you guys but whether i'm familiar with the artists or not it's going to get a listen Mm -hmm. and so when i get a book first of all i thought it's interesting, because I, I also am a published poet, and so nice, I thought, nice. oh, maybe okay. someone had sent me this, uh, it, maybe it's a book of poetry, and someone right. just sent it to the jazz session because that was the address they could find. Right, right. And then I opened it up and found the hollowed out section, and right. I said, oh, yeah, I'm already in love with it. <laughs> I haven't even listened to it yet. This is right. totally speaking my language. Right, right. Um, it's I think it's, it just, it speaks to, one thing that it reminds me of, I don't mean to be negative, but mm. one thing it reminds me of is how limited our conception of what, an artistic mm-hmm. project can be mm-hmm. sometimes is in this genre. Like it's just another record in mm-hmm. another jewel case or digipack. Mm-hmm. But it could be this or mm-hmm. it could be anything. It could be like that Nels Klein thing that came out a couple of years ago. That's some huge coffee table book with artwork and poetry and exactly. you know, two records. And there's so much more, there's so much more distance we can cover, mm-hmm. you know, artistically.
1: I think, and that's, that's what was ultimately behind this is to sort of uh, try to shoot for the moon and see if you can do it. You know what I mean? That, that there's that if you can make, if you can do it and make all the aspects of it really world class, as good as, you know, as good as they can be, that something like this can, uh, really become its own thing, you know, and, uh, and I, I do, I agree that, you know, mostly it's as just as jazz musicians were, you know, I couldn't have done this without the support of the graphic artist donated all of his time. The company that printed Will it. Will you mention who that is? Yeah, the graphic artist is Jeff Harrison. He lives in Vancouver. And, um, and he works for a company called Rethink, which my brother works for. And they're a big art house advertising agency, but they do like cool, weird things. And so when I told my brother about this, he said that I wanted to do this. He said, I got the perfect guy. And Jeff and I talked and then Rethink donated all their time. They did this all on their own time. They used Rethink's illustrator, Kim Kim, um, Ridgewell, who's the illustrator. Um, They covered all the expenses and... The only thing I had to really pay for in the record company was was um, making the C, you know making the CD. Obviously, paying everybody and sure. doing that. So in a way, it didn't really cost me. They even got their printer on board, and their printer donated all the printing, which was you know like probably everything together would have been way too expensive for a normal guy like me to afford. So a lot of things had to line up in order to be able to do this. It also allows me to sell it at a normal price. It's not like $80, you know what I mean? It allows me to send one in the mail to you and not feel like I'm, you know, sending along my child's left arm. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, there's your freshman year. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So to comment on what you just said, yes, those things are great. But in order for it to happen in today's day and age where record companies aren't putting millions of dollars behind people, and especially in the jazz world, a lot of things have to line up. Sure. For it to, to, to work out, and I'm really fortunate that it did and, and had people behind me that really believed in what it could be. That's a fair point. It, yeah. it is
0: the case that not everyone is, is not right. publishing a book just because they're lazy, but also because it would cost a gazillion dollars. Exactly. To, to do exactly. But
1: I do love the fact that it showed up in the mail and you looked at it and you're like, what is this? <laughs> right. The funny thing is, is that I thought that the hole in the book would be uh, pretty easy to understand. Um and it and it is to some extent, but what really threw people and I don't know if you noticed this, but like the hole starts but there's actually writing around the edge exactly, of the hole. Yeah. So I was so amazed at the fact that people get really upset when they can't read something. <laughs> so they're, they're like, "I'm raising my hand." Exactly. They're like, "They're like, what? What is this? I can't. I can't read this. I can't. What? I can, what is this? I can't read this." And they're not really thinking about the actual art projectness of it. Right. And so I actually got emails from from a few people that were like, "That were like, Chris, I love the whole thing. It's amazing. You know what's weird? <laughs> is there's a CD size hole in my book." <laughs> Just the size of the CD, and and I, maybe mine's the only one, or you know, maybe I I just wanted to call and tell you in case you have a whole stack of them, and this That's is the awesome. only one with like a CD <laughs> size hole cut in
0: the book. I did understand the hole right. was there intentionally. So right. I won't put myself in that, right. kind of right. but I did see the text and think, oh, I wish I could read everything right. that was here. Uh,
1: and, and some some diehard me. fans have actually emailed me and like tried to decipher because those are old stories of mine. They just wanted. The, re- the designer one, he thought it was a, be a great idea, and it is. He just wanted old stories, and he would just lay the text in different yeah. ways. And 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 some people have tried to recreate the stories. <laughs> is this what happens in this one? I sort of read it, and then I got to the edge, and <laughs> right. you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was able to get three words in every line, <laughs> exactly. and here's what I piece together.
1: I think this one's about Santa Claus.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's great. Was, uh, was being an electric bassist a, a conscious decision you had to make at some point?
1: Uh, it's something I always just... I guess because I, I started, and I when I started, I started playing fairly quickly with people and 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 in professional situations. So I had, I guess, I had some sort of affinity for it, and and uh, and so when it came to learning jazz, I had, I you know, I went through. And it's oddly enough, now I'm playing more acoustic bass and some some things. You know, it's terrible, but gets gets by. You <laughs> know, when people want it. So it was just something that uh, I was uh, electric bass. I was always fairly busy at from an early early point and it just um when it practicing demanded it that that it was just the easiest go-to and also something i fell madly in love with you know just the whole aspect i discovered weather report and Jocko and then i you know i was done um and uh you know then i discovered like acoustic you know much more acoustic kind of music and got really into this idea of being an electric bass player that could play jazz really well so i so i transcribed like all the Gary Peacock I possibly could and did this really weird book when I was a kid. I, I, you know, every like jazz Keith Jarrett standards record I like wrote, you know, I thought it'd be really neat. An electric player was like ripping apart all these Gary Peacock lines, you know? And, uh, and that just sort of was that my mindset, you know, can I, can I make this function in the same way? Can I make it sound as, as convincing that it belongs so yeah. that's sort of what I was going for. Yeah. Now
0: that you've done rest of the story and you've you've been able to successfully kind of blend these two sides of your life, does it suggest anything to you, kind of going forward, about how you might use one to inform the other?
1: <laughs> I'm not too sure if I'll do it again, or if I'm hoping that I'm hoping through your masochism the, only goes exactly, so far exactly, America, yeah. exactly. I mean, it took like two years to put this together. It was so painfully slow and. I actually had the stories quite a while before <clears throat> I had anything else, but just the whole concept and putting it together with the, with the graphic artist, And we went back and forth on a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it took forever and it was great to have that amount of like everything talking about the detail and like, right down to the fact that we put a bookmark in it, you know, which is <laughs> like, which is like, how crazy do you want to get, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm not sure I am uh making a living as a bass player in New York, we're going to be playing a lot of this music uh, around town and out of town. But uh, at the same time, I'm also very focused on improving as a writer. I'm actually um, back in school. After years of studying privately with writing, I decided to go and get my MFA in, in creative writing. So, Where are you doing that? <clears throat> um, I'm doing it uh, at the University of British Columbia. Great! It's an optional residency program, so I can do the whole thing online. So it allows me to uh, to uh, tour and do all that sort of stuff. And that sort of just got started up a couple of weeks ago. So the amount of work is a little bit <laughs> overwhelming.
0: Well, at least you don't have a new baby.
1: Exactly. Oh, oh wait <laughs> a second. Where's the kid? <laughs> I think he was around here a minute ago. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, so I'm following both things fully. Uh, and then that goes back to me talking about just finding ways to make the output of work mesh with action, you know, with life and, everything like that so yeah. yeah you know i i take both equally as seriously even though one is my living and the other one regardless of how many times i've been published is a bit of, you know a bit of a hobby love whatever sure yeah
0: well it's a it's a really inspiring project and uh I, i'm so glad you sent it to me and it's been a pleasure uh, to talk to you about awesome My guess
1: is chris terry thanks for coming on the jessish thanks jason i appreciate it man a lot
0: (音楽) Thank you. That's music from Chris Terry and his CD and book, Rest of the Story. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. It is member-supported, so please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can do it for as little as 10 bucks a month. We've had some people become members recently, which is fantastic. Kurt Davenport is one of the most recent from Kurt's Jazz Café. So thanks to him and thanks to you for becoming a member. I hope you will and help keep this show going. And then get out there if you would and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
1: Bye. 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 Bye.